So today the church celebrates the feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the Assumption is one of two doctrines of the church that a pope has infallibly defined since papal infallibility itself was defined at the First Vatican Council in 1870. So for 10 points, do you know what the other doctrine is? Anyone? Anybody? Bueller, Ferris Bueller? Okay, I'm just gonna tell you. <laughs> it's the Immaculate Conception. They were both Marian doctrines, and those are the two things that have been infallibly defined by a formal act of a pope since 1870. On November 1st of 1950, Pope Pius XII declared the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which the church celebrates every year on August 15th. And simply put, the Assumption states that at the end of her life, the Blessed Virgin Mary was taken body and soul into heaven. And while this event itself isn't reflected in sacred scripture, it is clearly part of the church's earliest observance. All the way back in the sixth century, St. John Damascene wrote in one of his sermons, your sacred and happy soul, as nature will have it, was separated in death from your most blessed and immaculate body. And although the body was duly interred, it did not remain in the state of death, neither was it dissolved by decay. Your most pure and sinless body was not left in the earth, but you were transferred to your heavenly throne. Sixth century. Theologically speaking, death is often understood to be a consequence of original sin. And since Mary was conceived without original sin, some theologians have wondered if Mary died or perhaps was taken into heaven without experiencing death. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, unhelpfully, does not answer this question. It simply states, the most blessed Virgin Mary, when the course of her earthly life was completed, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven, period, end of paragraph. Now, the Feast of the Assumption reminds us of the unique role that Mary served in the process of our salvation. Although she was without sin, we have the possibility of receiving God's forgiveness through Christ. So her entry into heaven prefigures our own hope of experiencing the same eternal life. The message of the scriptures chosen for today is that our salvation follows a plan. In the Revelation reading, the author uses veiled metaphorical language to assure us and his original readers that although their situation seemed desperate and impossible and the power of evil is terrifying, God's power will triumph in the end, justice will be restored, the innocent will be rescued, and evil will be vanquished. And the epistle for today follows a similar theme. God has a plan for our salvation. And the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ are all part of the plan. Sin, even the sin that's part of our human nature, is not part of our destiny because Christ has conquered sin and death according to God's plan. And finally, in the Gospel, Luke tells the story of Mary's visit to Elizabeth and her own proclamation of God's plan of salvation. And to me, this scene has always 
sounded like opera or maybe musical theater, if you prefer. The scene is set, Mary makes her entrance, the music rises, Elizabeth sings this beautiful introduction, and then Mary sings the stunning aria, the Magnificat. In the words of this prayer, which the church prays every evening as part of the Liturgy of the Hours, it tells of Mary's part in God's plan of salvation. But after the first few lines, the emphasis is on what God is doing. And so it's all about God's plan. It's not our plan, this is God's plan. One of the things that sometimes bothers me a little bit about a lot of contemporary Christian music is that it all, it all becomes about what we're doing. Look at me, God, I'm praising you. I'm lifting you up. It's all about me and what I'm doing. But Mary's song humbly acknowledges that God has done great things for her and then moves on to the great things that God is doing for all of us. God is merciful. God shows his strength. God overturns injustice, feeds the hungry, and fulfills his promises. And this is why the Feast of the Assumption is important for us, because God fulfills his promises. God has a plan for our salvation, and that plan is being carried out today, just as it was in the past, and just as it will be at the end of time. If you read my column in the bulletin this week, and I'm assuming you all have, you can also find it on my website, but anyway, you know, I'm writing this week about the nature of the plans that we have to make in very uncertain times. And for everything that we have planned for the coming semester, there has to be a plan B if things don't work out the way we hope they will. But we also trust that in God's providence, if we have to go to plan B, we trust that that was actually God's plan A all along and that we are just trying to keep up. <laughs> so we're doing the best we can. We make our plans, but we make them with some resilience. And this is the way God's plan of salvation has always worked, because we don't see the full picture. We don't have God's omniscience. But we trust that God fulfills his promises. The assumption of Mary into heaven is the fulfillment of the promise that God would do great things for her. And it's a glimpse for us of the salvation that God promises to us. And just as Mary made the choice to cooperate with God's plans, we are also asked to cooperate, to work together towards the coming of God's reign. As Elizabeth declared, blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. <laughs>